Good morning. This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9 o'clock a.m. Central Standard Time. It is 11-11 of 2019. I'm sure the numerologists are probably going batshit crazy on that. <clears throat> this is episode 162 of Bitcoin, and I so screwed up on Bitcoin and episode 161. If you listen to it, I did not mute out a channel in my multi-track setup, so you've got a whole section of 8-bit big band while I was talking, and my apologies for that. Um Usually I, I spot check uh, like different sections of the rendered episode after I'm done. And I have never skipped uh, screw up that bad. Uh, this is the first one that is really, really bad. And again, my apologies. I'll be looking for that to make sure that that does not happen again on today's show. So where are we? Let's get into some community stuff. Uh, first up is bottle pay at bottle pay. If you're not using that bottle pay, it's fun. I don't know what it is about it, but it's, it's fun. I, it's like the, the, the user interface is just it's so well done you know, the, and the user experience going through it, it's so quick and painless and seamless. It's just, it's fun to give somebody five sats because you never know one of these days we might, that actually might be valued at, I don't know, a whole dinner or maybe a lunch. Uh, let, let's go to lunch. But in, in either event, <clears throat> Bottle Pay is saying in a tweet that was done this morning, the awesome Ivan at Pleva Ivan, P-L-E-V-A-I-V-A-N, has helped make Bitcoin more acceptable for everyone by translating our login page and dashboard into Slovakian. (laughs) Nice. Our community members keep inspiring us with their dedication to support what we are doing and the greater good. Thanks a lot, Ivan. And then it gives a uh, uh, screenshot of the translated bottle pay landing page, and it is indeed in Slovakian. So there you go. I don't even think Bottle Pay asked for this to happen. It's just a, the way that the communities start organizing themselves is one of the most fascinating things to watch. And one of the things that I'm I'm kind of in awe about is the fact that there are not a team <clears throat> of social science experts or academics uh, out in the field paying very serious attention to how all these small groups are organizing themselves and writing peer-reviewed papers on the on the whole thing. Uh, I would, because I think it's actually rather important what's going on here. Here you got a guy who's like, oh, shit, I'll translate the whole damn thing for you. Gave it over to Bottle Pay and just 
let them run with it. I mean, you don't find that very often because everybody's always got their hand out. Um, in the next one, it's something at least, uh, we need less stuff about scams like Ripple and BSV and BCH and Ethereum, but it, it is a start. And I'm referring here to a Coindesk tweet that was put out yesterday, I think. It says, feeling all alone with your crypto? Download one of our educational white papers and circulate it at work. And then they give a link. If you go to that to said link, it tells you um, to sign up with, uh, they want your email. They're, everybody wants your email. It's okay. Give them like, I don't know, like a burner email account or whatever. I've got, I've got a couple of burner email accounts. So, um, but once you get access to it, all the, all you do is put in your name, uh, your, uh, I don't know, your company's name, your, uh, your email, that kind of stuff. And then you get um, access to, it looks like five papers. One is crypto and context. Another is crypto custody. Another is crypto fundamentals. The fourth one is Bitcoin is safe haven. And the fifth one is crypto derivatives. So in a way they're, you know, Coindesk in its own way is, you know, at least understanding the need for education in the space. Uh, We've got it, from my view, we've got lots of new people that are coming in. And the reason I can tell is that I'm getting followed all the time by people that have like 20 followers. They joined either October of this year or November. I'm starting to get people that have just joined this November on Bitcoin Twitter and they're following my account. Um, it, so I'm going to be looking at these at these papers, but I can tell you because it's Coindesk, they're going to be talking about stuff like Ripple and Ethereum and and the garbage that's out there. But, you know, again, it's at least it's a start, right? You know, that so there there's that that's going on in the community. Crypto Meme Central, this is we're going to transition into news, but Crypto Meme Central at Crypto Scam Hub on Twitter tweeted out yesterday or sometime maybe this morning, when was it? When was it? Yeah, it was sometime this morning. Front page of Chinese state-controlled newspaper Xinhua. Bitcoin, the first successful application of blockchain. The article gives a basic intro to the concept of Bitcoin, mining, 21 million cap, etc. And then he gives a screenshot of the newspaper in question. Thankfully, thankfully, Cointelegraph, uh, Marie Huliet's, or Huyet, that still can't pronounce it, um, Five hours ago for Cointelegraph kind of gives a lowdown on what this whole thing means. So let's get into the morning roundup right here. China's state-run media, Bitcoin is blockchain's first success. The official Chinese state-run Xinhua news agency has published a report recognizing Bitcoin as the first successful application of Bitcoin or blockchain technology. Published November the 11th, the coverage is exceptional given China's abiding hardline stance against decentralized cryptocurrencies as epitomized by Beijing's historic September 2017 blanket ban on crypto exchanges and ICOs. The Xinhua article is broadly positive and detailed in its coverage of Bitcoin and the history of its development and evolution. It opens by posing the question of whether the coin represents the inevitable trend of future currency development or just another tulip hype. Given this formulation reproduces a long-standing industry platitude, it arguably leans more towards rhetorical convention than than polemic. 
The article continues to describe the core principles of blockchain as a decentralized, immutable, and trustless system for the peer-to-peer transfer of value covering aspects such as mining, digital scarcity, and pseudonymity. It is in regard to this latter, again, similarly to much Western mainstream media coverage of cryptocurrencies, that the article flags up the potential risks of Bitcoin, arguing that purportedly the most important uses of Bitcoin payments are black market transactions and darknet transactions, you know. Zinhua also emphasized the volatility of Bitcoin as a currency that is not backed by a uh, centralized sovereign power as distinct from national fiat currencies. However, the article is notably free of hyperbole and demonization, prompting some readers to propose or propose that the coverage represents the first time Bitcoin got such positive exposure from the Chinese government. As reported, President Xi's recent high-profile endorsement of blockchain innovation in recent weeks was accompanied by the signing of the first national law regulating cryptography governing various aspects of blockchain due to come into effect this January. The country's central bank, the People's Bank of China, is also expected to become the first major global currency economy to launch a central bank digital currency as other countries, such as Tunisia, are already getting a head start. While state media has recently reiterated a cautious stance against speculative excesses in cryptocurrency trading, the country is nonetheless appearing to tone down its erstwhile stringent opposition of activities such as Bitcoin mining. So, yeah, uh, I've got a story about that that reference to to Tunisia, so we'll get to that later. Yeah, I'm waking up in bizarro world when I'm when I'm waking up reading stuff like this because uh, you know it was not long ago at all that it was nothing but China FUD coming out, crash the market, and then they'd say, "Oh, well, we didn't mean it that way." And then the market would go up, and then they'd ban something else, and then you know, it, it was just it was so brutal. It, it got to the point where it was so brutal that the beat beat downs just kind of became oh elementary. You know, it's like you you just kind of got and then you got used to it to the point that it, I stopped even, you know, I stopped listening to anything that coming out of China, which tempers my thoughts concerning this particular article. I don't trust China. I don't trust what they're doing. It, the people are fine. It's the governments that I don't trust. It's not like, a, you know, it's like, you know, I don't know, people that bitch about Mexico or whatever. It's not the people that you're bitching about. It's their insane government, like our insane government in the United States. All the governments are insane. Hell, I mean, think about it. Do you? Would you really want to be president of the United States? Would you really want that? And if you think about who actually would really want that, would you be friends with that person? Probably not, because honestly, who... God, who would want to have their, oh, to just bury themselves in that kind of garbage. Anyway, uh, so take this with a grain of salt because we don't know what China is going to say tomorrow. Today, they like Bitcoin. Tomorrow may be different. You never know. But moving on, uh, we have, oh, CNET. Oh, God, at CNET. I probably don't have to tell you all that. Um, Has a gross mischaracterization of Psyche 16, the asteroid that's out there supposedly filled with gold, platinum, and iron. Um, They have a tweet out that is kind of comical. This asteroid could be the most valuable thing in our entire solar system. It's valued at 700 quintillion dollars. That's many billion times more valuable than all the money in the world today. And then it shows a, a picture of the 
Psyche 16. This isn't the first time that this story has come out. I think it was either the beginning of this year, and if not, at least the middle of this year, that this story rolled up into our, our Twitter feeds and whatnot. And, you know, it caused a lot of people to point their fingers at Peter Schiff and laugh because Peter Schiff is a gold bug, and we were trying to tell him that scarcity... Blah, 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 blah. And while all that, all that is still actually holds true, what's not true here is the valuation. Why? Dude, as near as I can tell, CNET is looking at this as, okay, well, there's an estimated X amount of ounces of gold and platinum on this asteroid. At today's prices, it would be worth X, seven in this case, $700 trillion, quintillion dollars. No, it doesn't work that way. If that asteroid, let's say that we towed it back into near-Earth orbit, put it in a stable near-Earth orbit, mined the living crap out of it, and just dropped bricks of gold and platinum and iron, because there's also a a whole bunch of iron in it too, um, onto the the planet uh, and not vaporize it in the atmosphere, some safe way of getting it down without expending a whole buttload of fuel, All you would do is, well, it's a simple supply and demand. Gold prices will go down because there's more gold available. And if if the estimates are right as to how much tonnage of gold and platinum and probably copper and God knows what else is on this thing, um, it's going to drive, it would drive the prices down because it be, you know, it's, well, this leads us to the the whole thing of uh, scarcity and true scarcity. If there's one of these things floating around people, there's two. And if there's two, there's more than that. So even if, what I'm saying here is that this, this is not, oh God, this is not a one-off thing. It's not like there aren't more of these things floating around. Why? Because gold and platinum can only be forged in the heart of dying suns. How many suns have died since the creation of the universe? A lot. How much do they weigh? A lot. How, what is their spatial, you know, uh, distance from each other? Wide. They're all over. These things are all over the place. That's what I'm trying to tell you. This is, this Psyche 16 is not a one-off deal. These things are freaking everywhere, which makes the whole notion of scarcity of gold and platinum and precious metals kind of laughable. Does that mean that gold and, uh, and the precious metals still don't have a massive place in, in society? No, they're re- they have high utility, really high utility. But as a store of value, anything that comes online that starts just basically printing gold or printing whatever you thought was was valuable, that what you're holding that the thing that you're holding that is now being printed, like if we were to mine this thing, um, is going to lose value. So there's this actually ends up being kind of good for Bitcoin because math dictates how much coinage there can possibly be. And for those people who don't understand this, <clears throat> who say, well, there'll ju- just be another Bitcoin and then there will be 42 million Bitcoin. No. If somebody forks the Bitcoin chain, which they are They've been doing all the time. That's how we ended up with the the abortions of BSV and BCH. What what those people never understood is that they're not being able to take and, and fork the val the original value propositions of Bitcoin itself. 
they did not fork the miners off the network. They, they, when they started up with BCH or BSV or whatever, they have a pittance, a pittance of mining capacity compared to Bitcoin. So it's not true that you can just fork Bitcoin and have two Bitcoins. And for those of us that know that, it's really easy. But for those, those people who are just now getting in, it's going to be up to us to make sure that they understand that one does not simply fork Bitcoin and then try to explain how that works. All right, that's enough of this idiocy. Let's get into oh the ex-Cinnabur blockchain lead joins Nordic Crypto Fund to bet big on Bitcoin. That's right. They always come back to Bitcoin. Anna Betakova is writing for Coindesk as of this morning. Since NASDAQ acquired Cinnabur last year, blockchain lead Eric Wall has left the exchange business for a Bitcoin investment fund joining the Oslo-Norway-based Arcane Crypto, he told Coindesk. Aimed at high-net-worth Scandinavians and institutional investors globally, the fund is an investment branch of Arcane, a crypto firm running a technology team, trading arm, and a crypto news portal, Cryptographin.com. <coughs> Arcane Crypto CEO... Torbjorn Bull Jensen is a widely cited crypto expert in Norway and a white paper published earlier this year shows their team is watching the industry closely, but doesn't provide any clues to the investment strategy. Wall said that he could not disclose precisely which assets will be Arcane's focus, but that outperformance separate from the revaluation of Bitcoin would be the metric. Quote, I expect that the metric that really matters is how funds perform against Bitcoin. Once the dust starts to settle on that, it's going to be clear who's been swimming naked. <laughs> Referring to a Warren Buffett quote. I love it. Some altcoin can also make it into Arcane's portfolio while hinted, but only those strictly selected. Quote, we are seeing a maturing trend in the altcoin market. It's already very different now than what it was a few years ago. It's becoming harder and harder for technically inept projects to fake it till you make it. <laughs> There's only a very few select areas in the cryptocurrency design space that has merit to compete against Bitcoin. And I, end quote, but no, I disagree. I think they all suck compared to Bitcoin, but... Continuing, rather than measuring performance against fiat, the goal is to trade digital currencies to increase the size of the portfolio in Bitcoin. Arcane Crypto was founded by Norwegian investors Kittel Skorstad and Christian G. Lundqvist and also funded by Morten Klein, a poker player and chairman of the Swedish casinos company Cherry in an undisclosed round this April. All three investors are from Norway, hence the Scandinavian slant of the fund. Wall had spent more than three years at Cinnabur, a company selling tech solutions for stock and crypto exchanges, and was used, used to explaining crypto to people in traditional finance, but in English, not in Norwegian. Quote, we will have a special focus on the Nordics, but it's not exclusive, Wall added. So that, that's the end of that one. So again, he was working for another blockchain company and has decided to go in, back into Bitcoin. Who, who, who would have guessed? What I also find funny about this is the mention of yet one more poker player. How in the hell have we attracted all these degenerate gamblers? It's amazing, man. They're everywhere. And people who never gambled before are starting to gamble. I've been seeing tweets to that effect. Oh, guys, gambling is dangerous. So is trading. Keep your Bitcoin close to your heart. Okay, Russia prepares law to allow cryptocurrency confiscation. 
This is Jimmy Aki writing for Bitcoin Magazine, November the 8th. I was going to cover this for Friday's show, but it just it, it just didn't materialize. According to local report, Russia's Ministry of Internal Affairs and other law enforcement agencies are developing protocols to confiscate cryptocurrencies. Good luck. These protocols could evolve into Russian laws as soon as 2021. Quote, Russia plans to develop a legal mechanism for the seizure of virtual assets for their confiscation, according to a translated report from RBC. The relevant proposal should be prepared by December 31st, 2021, by the Ministry of Internal Affairs, together with Federal Finance Financial Monitoring Branch, Rosfin Monitoring, the Prosecutor General's Office, the Investigative Committee, the Justice Ministry, the Federal Customs Service, and the Federal Security Service, with the participation of the Supreme Court. Man, that was a mouthful. Decentralized blockchain-based cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin would be very difficult, if not impossible, to confiscate. The initial report did not elaborate on how. Specifically, the government would seize cryptocurrency under a new regulation. Many Russians have a positive relationship with cryptocurrencies. Ironically, even the government has had its hand in blockchain and cryptocurrency-based initiatives. President Vladimir Putin met with Ethereum co-founder Vitalik in June of 2017, leading many to believe it was a signal of support for digital currencies from the Kremlin. The president also attended the St. Petersburg International Economic Forum that same month, where he claimed that enhancing the Russian economy and increasing average income could be achieved through the adoption and acceptance of, quote, innovative technologies, end quote. One of Putin's aides leased an abandoned aluminum plant located in northern Russia to a Bitcoin mining company. However, regulation around cryptocurrencies in Russia has been just a tad murky. In May 2019, local news medium Fontaka reported that Dmitry Medvedev, the Russian prime minister, had dismissed the issue of regulating cryptocurrency. While speaking at a legal conference in St. Petersburg, The lawmaker had explained that cryptocurrency may have lost its appeal to the masses. Quote, nowadays, the popularity of cryptocurrency has decreased and regulatory issues may not be so relevant, end quote, he argued. So those who advocated for regulations believed that Russia would get its day when crypto prices rose again. And prices did rise. Bitcoin surged to about 13,500 in June of 2019. But this didn't move the Russian government as many had expected to regulate the sector. But some progress toward cryptocurrency regulation clarity in Russia was made this year. Called Russia's Digital Rights Act, it defines smart contracts and digital tokens in a legal sense. Whether it was due to the involvement of his A's or just a fascination with the technology, President Putin seemed ready to open Russia's doors to the innovative technologies that he touted in St. Petersburg. Konstantin Goliknov Co-owner and CEO of digital rewards platform Daily Rich explained to RBC that success in a government-led initiative to confiscate cryptocurrencies would require clear regulations on how it classifies digital assets. This may allow cryptocurrency-based businesses to operate more easily in the country. Quote, if law enforcement agencies begin to discuss the forfeiture of cryptocurrency, then in fact, they are launching a mechanism for legalizing cryptocurrency (laughs) On the territory of Russia, he said, adding that while the Russian central bank might resist this, there are already many precedents for cryptocurrency seizure by a court decision. As for the prospect of going through with confiscation, there are still plenty of questions. As RBC noted, cryptocurrencies are generally kept on exchanges or in private wallets. 
These assets can't be taken by anyone without access to the wallets, and in most cases, only the owners and perhaps the asset custodians have access to them. If the government wants to get its hands on these assets when it pleases, it may require the cooperation of asset holders. In any case, this effort would have to be preceded by more regulatory clarity. So that's the end of that. And again, good luck. If you're doing it wrong, they're going to get your Bitcoin with this kind of crap. If you're doing it correctly, and it's hard to do it correctly. It's not like, you know, it, this isn't easy. We all understand this. But learn how to do it right. There are many people out there that will tell you how to do it right. And if you reach out, they will help you. And there's a people like a hell of a lot better than I am at it. I guarantee you that. Um, the other thing that comes to mind is things like Casa Hodel. Um, would be a huge, huge, you know, stalwart against this kind of thing or bulkhead rather against this kind of thing, because they would hold like two of your keys or, you know, like, I don't know, it depends on how you set up the the multi-sig, but in, in either event, if they, if the Russian government coerced you to give them your key, then they call Casa Hodel and Casa Hodel tells them to go screw. They're not getting your Bitcoin, but you can call, and say, hey, I'm I'm this guy, and there are mechanisms they have to make sure that they know that you're the guy. And all of a sudden, you have your Bitcoin. And if, But if a situation like that did arise, I'm hoping that you've done it after you've moved out of Russia into somewhere safe. And try not to do that in places that want to do this kind of thing, whatever. How Bitcoin's lightning can be used for private messaging. This is Coindesk's Elisa Hertig writing on November the 9th. I was also going to cover this, but it just, we're running long, so I didn't. Bitcoin's Lightning Network might have a use case beyond faster and more scalable payments. Do you think? Last week, Lightning Lab developer Just Jaeger revealed a experimental new proof of concept. What's that? a version of Lightning that can be used to send private messages. Like Bitcoin, it's censorship resistant. But unlike encrypted apps that morph messages into unreadable garbled text to keep messages from prying eyes, there's no central entity to stop users from employing the network. Jaeger told Coindesk, quote, Lightning is a peer-to-peer network in which anyone can participate. There is no central entity that has the ultimate power to decide on what users are allowed to communicate, end quote. Private messaging is a hot topic in the digital age, as it's easy for bad actors to intercept messages that aren't encrypted. Apps such as Signal and Wire give users more privacy, but private messaging is still far from everywhere. Quote, I like to compare private messaging with talking to someone in person privately. We can do this without asking for permission. It is a freedom that is so natural that we hardly even realize how important it is. As we humans continue to digitize ourselves further every day, I think it makes sense to extend this freedom into the digital domain, Jaeger argued. What's that is a passion project for Jaeger, not something he's working on for Lightning Labs. The app is at an early stage, not to be used with real Bitcoin yet. Jaeger said it's always been possible to add extra data to Lightning payments, but a recent change to Lightning specifications had standardized how this built-in messaging system works, so Lightning Network software remains compatible. There are other technologies that can also be used to decentralize messaging, Jaeger said, but he argues that there are some advantages built into Lightning that other other apps don't have. Quote, Lightning is not the only way to decentralize this, but it does have the advantage that it also has a payment network, he said, running any sort of centralized or decentralized service costs money. And with Lightning, it is easy to pay for that on a per-message basis, end quote. 
It's hard for chat platforms and social networks to achieve network effects, whereby they become exponentially more useful as more people use them. But twinning payments and messaging might help lightning. Quote, it is a question of how many peer-to-peer networks you want to participate in. It simplifies things if you get the two major uses, payment and chatting, from a single network, end quote, Jaeger said. Getting so many people to join such a project could be a challenge. Bitcoin Core contributor Shores Provost argued on Twitter, he suggested someone builds bridges to popular existing apps like WhatsApp or Signal so users don't have to download a whole new program to participate in the Lightning Chat. Messages sent on Lightning are free for now. WhatsApp relies on the fact that there is no charge for a failed payment. The payment reaches the recipient, the recipient extracts the message, and they fail the payment. Jaeger said, but should he or others develop the idea further, it's unclear how Lightning fees will evolve over time. The network isn't mature yet, and realistic fees still need to be discovered. It's hard to give an estimate now on what the actual cost will be of running a routing node in the future, Jaeger said. According to public data about the network, Lightning payments currently cost a median of 0.0001 Satoshi, a single Satoshi or one hundred millionth of a Bitcoin currently being worth a fraction of a penny. Quote, there are surely there surely are people willing to pay for it, but for what price would make it a no-brainer for almost anyone, Jaeger asked? Suppose the average user sends 30 messages per day. That comes down to about one Satoshi per message with the current Bitcoin exchange rate. That's about a dollar per year. If the Lightning Network matures to a system that could sustainably handle one Satoshi payments, I think a future of permissionless private messaging is unlocked, Jaeger said. That, okay, so that's the end of that one. And this is cool. <clears throat> I think it was Friday or Wednesday show. I talked about Sphinx.com, like the Sphinx in Egypt. Um, it is in private beta. I have yet to receive uh, an invite on my email um, to join that. But again, it's mobile. It uses the Lightning Network. And I can pay people as well as um, as chat with them. This seems a little different, although because... There's not a whole lot of information about how what Sphinx is actually doing and how. I don't know if it's more similar than I think or not. From the surface, it looks like, oh, I can chat with somebody and then send them a payment later on or, you know, during the chat using the Lightning Network. Whereas this, you, you're paying via the Lightning Network to use the service. So if that is the case, then these are two very, very different things using the exact same rails as each other, which I think is really, um, I think that that's good for Bitcoin, that we can, that Bitcoin and Lightning in the second the second layer, and I can't wait to see what third and fourth layers uh, look like, but being able to inject all these ideas and use the same system to enact them I think is is a huge use case for Bitcoin and and all the layered technologies on top of it. <coughs> Sorry guys, I think I might be coming down with a cold. Woke up and it was 26 degrees out here in the Panhandle of Texas. It's cold and windy. Ugh. So yeah, my throat is a little raw right now. Uh, again, apologies for that. Coin Telegraph's William Suberg is writing this morning. Banker who called Bitcoin evil spawn to head BIS digital currency hub. <laughs> oh, geez, this, the clown show is so fun. 
Uh, a former European Central Bank board member will chair a new arm of the Bank of International Settlements focusing on digital currencies and financial innovation. In a press release on November the 11th, the BIS confirmed Benoit Courier would begin chairing the Innovation Hub from January the 15th, 2020. Quote, the hub's mandate is to identify and develop in-depth insights into critical trends in technology affecting central banking, develop public goods in the technology space geared towards improving the functioning of the global financial system, and serve as a focal point for a network of central bank experts on innovation, the release explains. Courier, and that's spelled C-O-E-U-R-E. You pronounce it however you want. But whatever, he has already presided over a dedicated working group studying stablecoins. Both the BIS and its chairman, Augustin Karstens, although publicly critical of cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin, face a rapidly evolving financial environment. China's central bank, the People's Bank of China, <clears throat> one of its members, could soon become the world's first major economy to issue its own digital currency. <clears throat> Courier commented, quote, I look forward to bringing my expertise to the global central banking community. At this time of rapid te technological change, we, was, we must make the best use of innovation to support financial stability and promote financial inclusion. The hub will operate in Hong Kong and Singapore, in addition to the BIS's home of Switzerland. The Cointelegraph reported the BIS agreed to partner with the Swiss National Bank at the hub in early October. Quote, the SMB has for some time been closely following the digitization of the financial sector and technological innovations in the areas covered by its mandate, Thomas J. Jordan, chairman of the governing board of the SNB, said at the time. Last year, Coyer himself described Bitcoin as the, quote, evil spawn of the financial crisis, end quote. So that's that, evil spawn of the financial crisis. Uh, um, no, no. It's maybe it's evil to you, but then again, good to an evil person would probably look to the evil person as their version of evil. Um, yeah, Bitcoin came to take all of your heads. You will be promptly posted upon spires lining the roads of the financial future. At least you'll be, you know, some kind of symbol to us as we move forward of what not to do. All right. Bitcoin usage may spike following cash restrictions in Malaysia this time. This is November the 8th. This is Bitcoinists. Let's see. Oh, this is coming from the rundown. Let me see if they've, they've, if they're given a, a byline. Hold on. Nope. It's, it appears that the rundown wrote it. <laughs> No, 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 no. I'm sorry. God, it's just way too early in the morning. I haven't had enough coffee. This is Osato Avon Nomayo. Okay, yeah, he's he's writing for Bitcoinist. Um, the Malaysian government plans to impose restrictions on cash transactions, reports local media platform The Star. According to the publication, the move is part of efforts to combat money laundering in the country. Like there's that, whatever. They're always good using that. Committing, uh, commenting on the plan, Datuk Abdul Rashid Gafar, the deputy governor of Malaysia's central bank, Negara, or the BNM, remarked, quote, this is to address the physical, uh, the abuse of physical cash used for illicit activities. Malaysian economist Bjordi Bardai believes the proposed cash transaction limit in the country could boost digital currency adoption. <clears throat> 
for Bardai, having such restrictions may be the catalyst that pushes more people to adopt digital payment systems. According to Bardai, quote, when consumers get used to digital currency, they will be more willing and encouraged to undertake business dealings. And so business dealings can get bigger and have a more positive impact on the economy in the form of a doubling and also business volume. In quote, the Malaysian, or sorry, it, it, as in most of Southeast Asia, Bitcoin and crypto adoption continue to fare favorably. However, this trend is also being accompanied by fraudulent investment schemes and criminal behavior. The Malaysian police on Thursday, November the 7th, announced the arrest of five individuals suspected of stealing 85 Bitcoin ATMs. Yeah, they were drilling through the concrete wall to get to them. <laughs> The proposed cash transaction limitation will affect industries like medical tourism, hotels, and wholesale merchants. However, transactions routed via financial institutions will not fall under the new restriction policy since banks already have a robust anti-money laundering compliance requirement. For Abdul Rashid, the proposed plan will not adversely affect the average Malaysian household. According to the Central Bank Executive, detailed studies showed a median household income of under $2,000, far below the proposed limit. Malaysia is the latest country planning to restrict the legal limit of cash transactions as previously reported by Bitcoinist. Australia is also looking to cap cash payments at $10,000. Both the Australian and Malaysian proposals contain no express mention of Bitcoin and cryptos in their transaction restriction plans. So another one falls by the wayside. We already saw, was it, um, oh, good Lord, Venezuela. <clears throat> and others are are restricting cash and you know we got situations where you could you could like you know go in and and buy $10,000 you know worth of uh USD and have, that's been restricted to 200 so these things are falling like dominoes people it is a war on cash like nothing you've ever seen and i think bitcoin pretty much uh threw a bunch of gasoline on that fire but with a 10-year lead, I'm not sure they're going to be able to really catch up, especially with people with like people like Rodolfo Novak out there minting, you know, open dimes where you can put Bitcoin on a little USB stick or it looks like a USB stick <clears throat> and the private keys are contained and all, all you have to do is make sure you don't lose the unit and you can give that unit to somebody and if they have access to be able to check on the amounts that are in there then and they can there's a there's a little box that somebody put together and I believe it's built on an M5 stack and it will read the card and the the open dime and for, near as I can tell you don't need to actually be on the internet to be able to read that thing because the private key if you know anything about the open dime you know if the private key has been compromised by a physical destruction of a particular part of the unit of the of the circuit board if you look at it you know the private key has been destroyed so you just can hand it back to the guy going no no i'm not doing this if the private key is not destroyed then you know the private key is secure so you can it doesn't matter what unit you use and it doesn't have to be on the internet it can just read the amount that's on there and because the private key has not been exposed you know that it's safe and that it actually holds the, the, the money that it says it holds. So you can now freely trade that particular open dime for 20 bucks worth of whatever it is that you're buying, toilet paper, I, I don't know, whatever it is. But <clears throat> cash is never going to die. 
it's just going to morph into something else. And with people like Rodolfo out there, I pretty much can see the future of what it's going to morph into. Okay, mining death spiral FUD alert. Be on alert, guys. Be on alert. William Suberg is writing for Cointelegraph. Bitcoin mining difficulty sees biggest 2019 drop as hash rate spikes. This was this morning. Bitcoin mining difficulty adjusted downwards more than at any time since its 2018 price low on November the 8th, data shows. As noted by entrepreneur and cryptocurrency commentator Er, Er, uh, Alistair Milne on Monday, difficulty fell by around 7% after the network's latest readjustment. Mining difficulty refers to the effort required for miners to solve the equations necessary to validate transactions on the Bitcoin network. A higher difficulty implies competition for block rewards is higher, while drops incentivize more participation. The mechanism functions as a self-stabilizing device for Bitcoin, ensuring network security is sufficient even when price or network activity drops significantly. From its recent bottom of $5.1 trillion in December of 2018, when BTC-USD pair traded at $3,100, the difficulty has increased incrementally throughout 2019. In late October, the metric reached an all-time high of $13.7 trillion and has now corrected to $12.7 trillion. Data from Monitoring Resource Blockchain shows... Quote, seems to confirm the cost of mining on average is about $8,000 per coin, Milne summarized. At the same time, Bitcoin's network hash rate saw more renewed bullish upside on Monday, having similarly, similarly seen a period of contraction in recent weeks. At press time, hash, hash rate, which is an estimate of how much computing power is dedicated to validating transactions, had passed 100 quintillion ex, or 100 quintillion hashes per second once again. And for though guys use exahashes. So we're all on the same page, please. That's a hundred exahashes. Just so you know, whatever. Um, the move follows news that Argo blockchain, a major Bitcoin mining provider bought 500 new ant miner S 17 rigs from mining giant Bitmain online over the past week. The United Kingdom-based firm now has around 7,000 miners, and by the end of Q1 2020, plans to increase that to 17,000. As Cointelegraph reported, mining companies overall remain buoyant about the future profitability of the sector. Kane and Creative, another significant player, is reportedly set to undergo a $400 million initial public offering this month. At the same time, Bitmain is going ahead with the expansion of a Texas mining farm, which officials say could ultimately become the largest in the world. So, there you go. Expect mining death spiral fud and news to be all over the place clearly let's see if let's see if my suspicion is correct here oh my look the hash rate has increased in the last 24 hours by 11% why because they're taking advantage of the decreased difficulty this is how this works now we have a, i'll do the the vitals in a separate section but just so you know what that did to the block time the block time is low it's 9 minutes and 21 seconds that's exactly what i thought was going to happen why am i brilliant no this is simple and i'll tell you one of the places where i learned it it has nothing nothing at all to do with economies although kind of sort of but just not in the traditional sense when i was in my cell and molecular degree I was taking a bachelor of science for a cell and molecular uh, biology degree in molecular biology. We had to read a book 
And that book was called A Genetic Switch by a guy named Mark Tashney. Tashney is spelled with a P-T. So it's P-T-A, and then you can spell it from there. Mark Tashney, beginning with a P. A Genetic Switch, which is a story. It's not fiction. It's actually real about how something called phage lambda works. Phage lambda is a virus that infects bacteria, and it has a little loop of DNA that carries everything it needs in instructions to be able to produce all the proteins and enzymes it needs to be able to do one of two things. It can either produce more copies of itself as a full-blown virus with copies of its DNA inside, Or it can say, you know what? Nope, I don't want to do that. I need to go into a spore. And then it builds a viral spore that contains nothing but its DNA and a little bit of enzymes and some stuff to to kickstart it if it gets into an environment that is favorable for its growth. The way it does this is with positive and negative up and down regulation schema. I'm not going to get into that because, well, it's kind of, it's going to bore the shit out of most of y'all. But what's interesting here is that hash rate and difficulty act on each other like forces we've really never seen before. And we, I still don't, I mean, as simple as it is, you know, the, the phage lambda, the way it's doing its stuff, when you get right down to it, once you fight your way through the molecular biology of it, you go, oh, shit, that is brilliant. This, this difficulty versus hash rate that is one of the underlying pieces of technology that make Bitcoin work is astounding. It's absolutely astounding. And I don't think we talk about it enough, really. Just just how brilliant those two little pieces work, not only separately, but in conjunction with each other. In concert, <clears throat> they they have this environment that is just it's it's kind of hard to describe. But there's a beauty in it that I saw in Mark Tashney's A Genetic Switch. It's the same thought process. It does, it works to the same ends. Is the environment right for X? No. Well, then that environment forces a different thing to occur. And then if that environment is correct for that, then it switches the other way, hence the name a genetic switch. So if you want to read this, it's actually pretty readable. You don't necessarily need to be, you know, an expert in molecular biology to read this thing, much like you don't really have to be an expert in molecular biology to read Richard Dawkins' Selfish Gene. But I highly recommend this book and its pamphlet size. I think it's like 119 pages. You can read it in under a day. And if you read it twice, you'll be blown away by just how beautiful nature takes care of itself. And to tell you the truth, I believe wholeheartedly that we're in a situation where Bitcoin is more organic of a construction than any of us ever think because we're fooled by thinking of it as just a giant computer that runs on electricity and has computer chips. There's more to it than that. Just how much more? I don't know. But I venture to I'd venture to suggest that it's a lot more than we can possibly even think. 
Okay. We're going to go ahead and end it on that one. I'll, I'll tell a, a couple of things. Um, Canadian Stablecoin has officially launched and it's been launched by BVCI. There's an article on that in the Bitcoinist, but apparently the Canadians now have their own stablecoin. And the last thing is that a real estate magnate sells New York condo for $15.3 million in Bitcoin. So we have Bitcondos going on now. You know what? This is short. Let's go ahead and get through this one. Real estate tycoon Ben Schall has sold a retail condo in Manhattan's prestigious Upper East Side for $15.3 million in Bitcoin. The news was reported by New York Real Estate Magazine, The Real Deal, on November the 1st. Shall, who is president of the Magnum Real Estate Group, sold the 11,400-square-foot property to a Taiwan-based entity, Affluent International LCC, according to a pers- person familiar with the deal. While Shao himself has reportedly declined to comment, Eric Hedvat, a broker with Jet Real Estate, which represented Magnum in the deal, characterized the transaction as a seamless process. Magnum reportedly went into contract with two other buyers in the same building using Bitcoin in 2018, one for a 624-square-foot studio at an asking price of 875000 and the other a 989-square-foot one-bedroom at $1.4 million. My God. Another of Shal's residential developments has been listed with an option to purchase using Bitcoin, but was eventually sold for cash to Bronx-based investor Martin Shapiro last year for $82 million. Beyond Magnum, The Real Deal notes the Brooklyn-based rental management company announced in 2018 that it would be accepting cryptocurrency as payment. A current listing for a $29 million property on the Upper East Side, marketed by Korokan, notes the seller will accept payment in Bitcoin, Ethereum, oh God, wait for it, or Ripple. Oh, you poor dumb bastard. Earlier this fall, Cointelegraph reported that a 150-year-old English church was listed for sale at $1.5 million, either in Bitcoin or fiat currency. Blockchain, the technology underpinning Bitcoin, is also increasingly being implemented to cement ownership rights for real estate and business in order to mitigate fraud in land registries. Yeah, well, hate to say it, and as much as I want land and like real estate, if somebody, if a whole group of people come up with guns, there's not a blockchain in the world that can save your ass. They're just going to take it. And block, blockchain be damned. That's why there's only very few real use cases for this technology and you have to pick and choose them carefully cementing land ownership rights not one of them that's going to do it for your morning roundup vitals brought to you by bitcoin.com no no no, bitcoin.com no stay away from that don't ever go to bitcoin.com bitinfocharts.com has Bitcoin at a price of 8,757. looks like we have a high over at Coinsbit at 8,870 and a low over at P2P, B2B at 8,717. 307,000 transactions have been made in the last 24 hours with about 13,000 transactions averaging per hour. 924,000 BTC have been sent in the last 24 hours and 38,000 1,500 BTC are being sent on average per hour. 
3.01 BTC or is the average transaction value and the median transaction value is low at 0.015 BTC or about 131 bucks. As noted earlier today, uh, block time is low at 9 minutes 21 seconds. We have 0.18 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and overall 28 BTC have been taken in fees in the last 24 hours. Also noted, we have about an 11% uh, increase in the hash rate, bringing us to 101.9 exahashes per second. And the last GitHub commit was sometime this morning. Ethereum is at 187, Bcash at 289, Litecoin at 62, BSV at 132, Ethereum Classic at 5, Dogecoin at 0.0028. And at 26,000 transactions per second, it's, yeah, it's, it's clobbering Litecoin. So there you go. Uh, my, you know, 62 bucks. I don't know. Never mind. I was going to say something bad about Litecoin, but I'm, I'm done with that. Uh, we are five blocks deep into the mempool, carrying about 7,190 unconfirmed transactions. All of the blocks, while not full, are definitely over one megabyte in size. So yeah, we have more than one megabyte for all you big blockers out there. Lightning Network, well, let's see what's going on here. We have almost 10,400 nodes, which is a 2.56% increase in the last 30 days. We have, let's see, new nodes. We have four new nodes, which is a drop of 66.6% over the last 24 hours. New channels, we only have 103 brand spanking new Lightning channels, which is also a decrease of 16.26%. But again, remember, I say a decrease in percentage. There are new there are 103 new channels that they they weren't here yesterday, but they're here now. So, it's only a 16% drop only means that we don't have as many new channels opened up, but we still have 103 brand new channels in a day. Anyway, there there's your vitals. guys are gonna hate me it's okay it's been a good run 162 episodes not bad but after what i'm about to play you you're probably going to pull out the pitchforks and torches and and put me on a pyre because what i'm about to do to you probably should never be done to anyone so with that said
Taxation is theft. Damn, Skippy, it's theft. Yeah. All right. So uh, that was backwards. And backwards is all one word. And S is not there. It's backwards with a Z. Uh, it's nice to see bands out there that are, you know, it's not just that they covered, you know, Backstreet Boys. I mean, come on. I mean, that's just, <laughs> they have other music and it's actually really good. Uh, and most of their, their music reminds me of stuff that are like, you know, damn the man against the machine. Taxation is theft. They'll, they'll, you know, they'll never get us down that, you know, that kind of thing. There's those anthems that ANCAPs and, and anarchists like to hear every once in a while, you know, thankfully there's, you know, and these guys are pretty young too. So there's always going to be hope that a new generation will grow up listening to music that doesn't tell them to go kill cops. I'm not saying that cops are like, you know, the best, but they aren't all bad. They're, we're just seeing the, all we're seeing are the ones that are bad and there's some dipshits out there. But instead of those messages, it should basically be take back your sovereignty, own your own money, own your ability to talk to people, own your privacy. Don't let anybody ever take it away from you because quite frankly, unless the entire world's nation, you know, camaraderie of nations are going to go to flat out war with the citizenry of the world, they're not going to be able to really do all the things that they want to do when it comes to this stuff. China is, but that's just China. That's one seventh of the world. As far as population is concerned, we've got the other six sevenths on our side, hopefully on our side. And so far as people who are just getting tired of it, and they're making music and they're 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 able to put their voices online and say this ain't right and it's not none of this shit's right man we've we've let this crap go on way too long way too long way too long um take back your personal sovereignty if you can hold your own private keys don't put them on exchanges proof of keys day is january the 3rd of 2020. So get ready to pull all of your Bitcoin off of any exchanges if you haven't already. And as anybody who listens to this, you shouldn't even be able to participate in proof of keys. If you're doing this right, you shouldn't even be able to participate. Now, for those who do keep their crap on exchanges, please wait till January the 3rd. Or actually, I wouldn't even say wait, get it off now. Okay, so with that said, we are not doing a daily train wreck. I couldn't find one. I'm sure it's out there, but, you know, I was hanging out, not being glued to my my computer like, you know, somebody who should, you know, who purports to at least be sane should not be linked to their computer 24-7. So I did not see a worthy contender for a daily train wreck. Um, just a reminder, if you guys find daily train wrecks, shh. Tweet them, tweet them to me. I'm at B-E-N-N-D-7-7 on Twitter. That's at B-E-N-N-D on, or sorry, B-E-N-N-D-7-7 on Twitter. We do have a terrible joke, though. So let's get into that one. Of course, this is Dad Says Jokes. Did you know that there are no canaries in the Canary Islands? And the same thing applies to the Virgin Islands. There ain't no canaries there either. What can I say? Dad's a miscreant. Okay, uh, we're going to go ahead and, and recap <clears throat> one thing about um, the whole proof of keys thing. 
with Trace Mayer's initiative to get everybody to get their keys off. Um, it is January the 3rd, 2020. In my opinion, the best way that you can participate in proof of keys is not to be able to participate in proof of keys. With that, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.